Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is Alec Baldwin. And you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. On Friday, April 30th, 2021, the Indian Point nuclear power plant permanently closed down. For those who've been fighting for this for decades, it's a moment to pause and breathe a sigh of relief. While supporters of nuclear power promise affordable, clean energy that's too cheap to meter, time and again leaks, accidents and the general decay of decades-old nuclear power plants create risks that should keep everyone up at night. My guests today are activists I'm proud to call co-combatants in the fight to close Indian Point. Paul Gallet and Richard Webster work at Riverkeeper, a nonprofit dedicated to the health of New York's waterways. Indian Point is on the Hudson River, less than 40 miles north of New York City. Joseph Mangano is the executive director of the Radiation and Public Health Project Research Group. My conversation started with Joe. He's written dozens of studies and three books on radiation's effect on the body. In the late 80s, many nuclear reactors existed around the United States and the world. Over 100 were here. And there were basically no studies being done on basic issues like what are cancer rates in nuclear power plants, right? We know it's generating toxic chemicals. We know some is getting into the environment, into people's bodies, but there were no studies done. There was a need to be filled here. That's what we've done. Now, when you say no studies done, you meant no modern studies because the baby tooth study was in the 60s, correct? Yes, such a spectacular study. In the late 1950s, atomic bombs were being exploded above the ground in the United States and Soviet Union, uh, there are a total of, of over 400 of them, and fallout was was circling around the globe and getting into the precipitation and thus into the food chain. And people were concerned. And two groups, of one of citizens and one of scientists at Washington University in St. Louis said, we need to find out how much of this fallout is getting into people's bodies. There are tougher ways to do it, like autopsies and biopsies, and so, but this was a, a very ingenious way to do it. You wait until the child sheds a baby tooth, the tooth is donated, 
and the tooth is tested for this chemical, strontium-90, which is one of 100-plus chemicals not found in nature, but only when an atomic bomb explodes or a nuclear reactor. If I'm not mistaken, it appears in the first set of teeth of children, they were looking for yttrium levels in the teeth of these children. That was the daughter element of strontium-90 that was in the bombs. So high levels of yttrium in their teeth Mothers were asked to donate their children's first set of teeth, their baby teeth. And they would study these teeth because it mimicked calcium, correct, in the teeth? That's right. The body thinks it's calcium. And when it's taken in as food or water, it goes quickly to the stomach and quickly to the bloodstream, quickly to the bone and the teeth. And as the testing went on, the amounts of strontium-90 in the teeth got higher and higher. Kids born in 1963 had 50 times the amount of kids born in 1950 as the test started. Not 50% more, 50 times, like 5,000% more. And the study was um, published in medical journal articles. The first article was sent to President John F. Kennedy, where his science advisor, and he discussed it. And the U.S. Senate discussed the test ban treaty. One of the Washington University faculty, Eric Reese, testified, and he used it to study results as evidence why we need to ban these tests. And in fact, Kennedy did sign the test ban treaty just a month before he was killed. You and I, our work really takes off together when we go down to Toms River, New Jersey, and the facility is called the Oyster Creek Nuclear Facility. Describe how you first came across the idea that there was a problem there. Really, the first knowledge I had of there was some trouble around Oyster Creek was a cluster of childhood cancers. It starts with the grassroots parents of people who essentially sitting in waiting rooms found out about uh, each other and their neighbors and so on, and kind of forced the state health department to do a report. And all of a sudden they found cancer among children living in the Toms River area was quite high. And the the Toms River area was sort of a, a toxic triangle, if you will. There was a plant run by Union Carbide, one by Seba Geige, and then, of course, the nuclear reactor, Oyster Creek. And each emitted uh, different types of of pollutants into the environment and and into people's bodies. And we know that children, of course, are most susceptible to, to toxins. And the issue became not so much wait for the government, wait for leaders to do something about it, but to really do a, a grassroots effort to force change. And I think that was the same thing with the earlier St. Louis baby tooth study. You know, it was, it was a, a bottoms up movement. And our efforts were twofold. We did a number of studies, same with Indian Point, the recipe is the same, of cancer rates around th- this area, especially after the, the nuclear plant opened. And then we came in with our own version of the baby tooth study. Dr. Gould said, hey, that, that St. Louis study years ago, I think was incredible, 320,000 teeth, and it helped pass the test ban treaty. Let's do one of our own. And in places like Oyster Creek, you and I and others went down and appealed for donations of teeth. We had them tested in labs. And we appealed for the money to do the testing. Yes, yeah, we did We did get support from the, the state government. Now, this is when Jim McGreevy was governor to do the test. We found basically that, number one, the... Levels nearest to the plant were a lot higher than people living far from the plant. Number two, as time went on, the levels were getting higher and higher as the reactor got older and leaked more. 
And number three, we found a link with childhood cancer. Just picture a graph with two lines. One is the trend in strontium-90 in teeth, and one is the trend in childhood cancer in the local area. They look the same. And we found this near Indian Point and near Brookhaven and Long Island as well. Right. And we published them in medical journals, which separates us from other activist groups for nuclear. I, I am the author, co-author of 38 medical journal articles on, on these topics. In order to give this some more perspective, and that is, we go down to an area where what we're basically saying is don't extend the license of this operation. The licenses expire. The licenses have to be renewed. These things have to be inspected. It's machinery. It wears out. There's leakage. There's this. There's that. There's problems. All of these nuclear reactors have, to varying degrees, not all of them are life-threatening catastrophes in the making, but, but many of them have some serious problems. But when we went down to Oyster Creek, because I want to get to Indian Point in a minute, but when we went down to New Jersey, here's a couple of highlights that I recall. One was Linda Gillick. Linda Gillick was a woman who became an activist over autism clusters, another soft tissue ailment there, prostate, breast, brain, autism clusters in the Toms River area. That coastal area of New Jersey down there mimics Long Island with a very narrow lens of soil. Union Carbide, I believe, was putting toxins into the ground in porous, sandy soil going right into the water table. Greenpeace was actually going to target Sibagagi's pipe that they had out into the ocean. They were dumping uh, resin or something. And Linda Gillick turns around and she says to her congressman, I would like some discretionary funds to do some research into the groundwater and find out what's in there and what's causing these cancer clusters here and these other soft tissue clusters like autism. The moment that the congressman is going to give her five million bucks to do this research, Sibagagi and Union Carbide settled the case. And they want all the records sealed. They didn't want anybody to know what's in the ground there, what they were pumping out into the ocean. They settled the whole thing. So of the three villains, in my mind, who were responsible for the toxicity in that Toms River area, Sibagagi Union Carbide, some people even suspect that these places are cited where there is cross-contamination so you can't prosecute them. Some people would argue that not only are nuclear facilities cited where there's low-income labor who crave these jobs. Some of these guys are making $35, $40, $55 an hour in a union where there are technicians who are responsible for operating these these facilities. Like what happened to us when we went to Ocean County, and we're at Ocean County College, and we pack the place. We pack it. I mean, they're sitting in the aisles, and the one guy looks to me. He's out of Steinbeck. He's a young dad with his wife and two kids, and he says, you're not here to close the plant, are you? And I said, no, we're not here to close the plant. We're here to present you with all the information and the facts, and you decide if you want the plant closed. But then we go to those two guys, the father and son, who were the state senator, and his son was an alderman or whatever they call them down there in New Jersey. And we asked him for discretionary money to use for the baby tooth study. And they agreed to give us the money. And then Governor Christine Todd Whitman line item vetoes those requests that we get the money to do the baby tooth study. If there was ever a shill for the nuclear industry, God, it was her. Talk to me now about the work you've done specifically related to Indian Point. Indian Point was, in addition to Oyster Creek, another one of our major priorities because of its proximity to New York City. I mean, the most densely populated area of the country meant the greatest health risk. So we focus a lot of our work on those two plants. Indian Point is located 35 miles north of Times Square. It's on the Hudson River, which is quite close. 
even though years ago there were numerous proposals to build nuclear reactors, not just around New York City, but in New York City. Let's build one below Central Park, below Roosevelt Island, right across the East River from the UN. Let's build an island just off Coney Island, build reactors. These all made the New York Times. These were actual ideas. None of them came through, but the closest one was Indian Point, which opened in 1962. Three reactors. One was a small one that closed in 1974, but there were two much larger ones built in the mid-1970s. And those are the ones we we focused on. The, The way we approached Indian Point was sort of two ways. The burden of proof was on us to show that there was not just radiation being released and entering the body, but to show that there was harm. The releases were easy. Taking um, data that the industry is required to report every year, Indian Point was one of the highest amounts of radiation in the 70s, 80s, and 90s into the air. Number two was the baby tooth study. We appealed to people to donate teeth, and we collected 500 teeth near Indian Point. We found the strontium-90 levels were 40% higher than elsewhere in New York State, and again, the similar patterns with child cancer. And then finally, the litany of cancer statistics. Breast cancer is 20% higher. Child cancer is 20% higher. The biggest one is thyroid cancer, which is not one of the high-profile cancer. Right. It's usually treatable, although it's a, a horrible experience. Back in the in the 1970s, when these two big reactors were opening, the rate in the four-county area, you know, within 20 miles of Indian Point, was like 22% below the U.S. And by the year 2000, 55% higher, and that's where it, where it is today. I mean, instead of 50 cases a year in the four-county, it's like over 400 cases. In emergency circumstances, like a possible uh, meltdown or, or, or leak or whatever, uh, where there's contamination and the public is exposed on a larger scale, don't they issue like iodine or something for people to consume to, to prevent thyroid cancer? The thyroid is very vulnerable to radiation. Yes, yes. Iodine goes directly to the thyroid glands, all right, where it kills and, and injures cells. And yes, uh, one of the ways that are used to reduce the effects of a meltdown would be to take this what they call potassium iodide, which sort of right. coats the thyroid gland and protects it from iodine. All along, they've never copped to the fact that there was ambient radiation emitted from these facilities on a daily basis. Am I correct? They have, but their slogan is too low to be harmful. Officials knew they couldn't operate it without allowing at least some of this highly toxic radioactivity to be released into the environment. So they set what they called permissible limits and took that big giant step of saying that permissible limits means they are safe, they don't harm people. It's like a doctor telling a patient, well, you smoke five cigarettes a day, so that's below the permissible limit. So there's no health risk. Or you're, you know, your wife smokes, but you don't, so you're okay. No, all radiation is harmful at all levels. And you know, a lot of the, the discussion about a place like Indian Point was about potential harm from a meltdown or if uh, radioactive waste were a catastrophe somehow. Yeah. We dealt with actual cases of cancer. We dealt with actual deaths from the actual releases, which actually went into people's bodies, into their baby teeth. And we also feel that it probably resulted in the greatest hostility from the nuclear industry being pointed at us. We had evidence. And they didn't like it one bit. 
Well, they wanted an industry that evolved from a process of bomb making to end the war. And they're saying, in the wake of the war, they're saying, hey, man, these guys are our partners in making armaments to defend our country. So let's give them a little bit of a break. They would like to take these reactors and put them in hundreds of sites around the country. And these things are going to boil water and you're going to have steam turbines. It's going to be, you know, the famous quote, too cheap to meter. And let's throw these guys a bone. Let's let them make a little money on the side. And, you know, you realize that's always been the fight, which is it's about money. These companies, whether it's GE, who would you say is the dominant power corporate-wise in nuclear technology? By far, the two biggest ones were GE and Westinghouse. GE and Westinghouse made most of the reactors. And they're like, hey, man, you know, we're making money here. Get out of the way. We're not hurting anybody. So they claim. So tell people what happened recently at Indian Point. Indian Point, the two reactors reached their 40-year license and applied for a, an extension from the federal government of 20 additional years. And, you know, reactors weren't supposed to last more than 40 years, but with no reactors being built, they hatched this idea to keep it going. A number of the citizen groups against Indian Point took on the license extension and they took it to, to court and, and legal actions. And finally, a, a deal was worked out where the reactors continued to run until last year and this year, but no more. Closed forever, which leaves the 100-mile radius around New York City with zero operating nuclear reactors, where at one time there were supposed to be many. Joe Mangano is the executive director of the Radiation and Public Health Project. The dangers of nuclear power are sometimes only apparent in the aftermath of disasters. Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania, Chernobyl in the Ukraine, and Fukushima in Japan. For more in-depth conversation on the challenges of nuclear power, listen to my conversation with Gregory Yasko. He became chair of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission just before the Fukushima disaster. While in office, he tried to tackle the persistent question of where to store radioactive waste. In a lot of ways, the best alternative is probably to leave it where it is. You know, it really, I mean, there are some places where you don't want to keep it, you know, the, probably Indian Point, which is close to New York City. Um, so some of the fuel you want to move, you want to get it in, into maybe another location. You think for, for, from an engineering standpoint, from a physics standpoint, it's better to leave it there? Yeah, I think it is right now. I mean, we certainly— Transporting it is dangerous. Transporting it adds risk, and we just, we don't have any place to put it. Hear more of my conversation with Gregory Yasko at heresthething.org. After the break, Richard Webster, Riverkeeper's legal director, joins Joe Mangano to explain the logistics involved in the fight to close Indian Point. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, 
fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. When they say the earth needs a good lawyer, Richard Webster is who they have in mind. Richard works at Riverkeeper, and before becoming an attorney, he was a hydrologist and an environmental scientist. But in order to close Indian Point, you had to know what you were up against. And she was the owner at the end. NIPA built Indian Point. NIPA, New York Power Authority. So it was a public company. And actually, Con Ed built Indian Point too. Basically, just to go all the way back to the start, nuclear plants, to build them is incredibly risky. They have a, a tradition of being way over budget and way behind schedule. So the only people that can really afford to build nuclear plants are either public corporations or public utilities. But then the, the problem came that they weren't operating them very efficiently in the sense that the run times were not very high. So there is a sense that if you give it to a private company, they will increase the run times, which they did. By run times, you mean how long they're online and active in producing power? Exactly. So the, the, the availability went up from about, I think, 75% to something like 92%, which you know, can make the difference between the reactor making money or the reactor losing money. What experience shows is that it's hard to keep a reactor maintained in the first place. And it's doubly hard if you don't want to come offline when you detect problems. So, for example, at Indian Point, they had a problem with the, the reactor lid and how well it fitted. And repeatedly, what they found was that there was leakage around the top of the reactor lid. Every outage, they found this leakage. But they didn't stop the reactor in the middle 
to investigate this leakage because they wanted the production. And uh, that's what you see, you know, repeatedly. I mean, Davis Bessie was the most egregious example of this, where cooling water actually ate all the way through the reactor head, which was about six inches of steel. The only thing left holding the pressurized water in the reactor together was a half-inch layer of stainless steel. They refused to take that offline for weeks and uh, got very close actually to a meltdown there. So that's one problem in the nuclear industry is there's a lot of pressure for production and uh, that tends to lead to undermining of maintenance and safety. Another example I'll give you is the the baffle bolts at, at Indian Point. When they finally measured the baffle bolts, they found that over half of them were defective, but they didn't then take Indian Point 3 off a line and measure that one. They let that run for another year and then when they measured the baffle bolts there, which is baffle bolts, by the way, are the things that kind of hold the inside of the reactor together, they found that over 70% of those were defective. So people who say, oh, you know, nuclear plants, they're, they're pretty safe, are too complacent. We haven't seen any major nuclear disaster apart from TMI here yet. But just because we got lucky so far doesn't mean to say we shouldn't get smart. What happened to TMI? TMI was operator error. That could obviously happen again, but the chance of operator error probably goes down or stays the same more or less over time. The thing that concerns me is that as the reactors get older, the margin between what's acceptable and what's unacceptable gets smaller and smaller as you have corrosion, fatigue, and all these phenomena. And I don't think the industry is doing a very good job at managing these phenomena. They're just basically hoping and chancing it. You know, we saw that at Oyster Creek where the secondary pressure vessel had been corroding. And at points, was half as thick as it started off. It started off about an inch and a half thick, and at points, it was 0.7 inches thick. But the industry was saying, Exelon there was saying, oh, no, it's okay. It stopped corroding, we promise, and therefore we don't need to do any more measurements for 20 years. I mean, that's just wishful thinking. Well, explain to people how we have the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which, of course, was the precursor, was the Atomic Energy Commission, and the NRC is there, presumably, to protect the interests of the American people. How would you evaluate how good of a job they're doing in that department? Well, I've been to a lot of meetings with NRC personnel, and, you know, they're generally nice people, and I think they're generally competent engineers. But I think there's a fundamental problem with the agency, and I think my best uh, anecdote on this was one time I was at a meeting in New Jersey, and a guy stood up from the back and said, you guys at the NRC, you're taking taxpayers' money, and you should be protecting the taxpayers. The NRC guy stood up and said, actually, we're 90% funded by industry, so don't worry about it. That was illustrative to me that... Uh, Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. Now, was the AEC completely funded by the government? Did they replace the AEC with the NRC to put the industry in charge of its own regulation. Joe, do you have an answer? Yeah, I think the AEC was government funded, but definitely the NRC is 90% funded by industry fees. NRC is supposed to be a regulatory and, and not to promote nuclear power, which is what the AEC was doing. To help sell this project to the American people. Right, they kept promoting it. That was right. To go back another step, it all comes out of atoms for peace, right? The original idea was to show we hadn't spent all this money just creating a nuclear bomb, we'd also created something useful. So that's where the AEC came in. And then there was a concern that the AEC, because it had to promote nuclear power, couldn't really be an effective safety regulator. So they formed the NRC. But I do think there was some deliberate shenanigans in the setup of the NRC, because the NRC was designed to be rigidly independent of politics. And so that's why the industry largely funds NRC, and it also stands 
as what's called an independent agency with like five commissioners, which are normally three from the president's party and two from the other party, but they've been steadfastly pro-industry. So basically, the NRC is one of the very few agencies where a senator can write them a letter asking them a reasonable question, and they basically say, get lost. And in fact, I found that's the most effective way to get a senator on your side, you know, because when you complain to a senator, oh, you know, the NRC won't tell me this, won't tell me that, then the senator says, I'll soon find that out, writes them a letter, and they basically write back saying, sorry, we're not going to tell you, bye. I want to ask you, Richard Webster, when NIPA, in cooperation, I guess, with Con Ed or whatever, they build these facilities, what is the path and what is the reasoning why they pass into the hands of companies like Entergy? When does that happen and why? So that happened around 20 years ago. The theory was Entergy has a fleet of nuclear reactors, so they don't just own one or two nuclear reactors. They, they owned, I think, 20 at the time. And so they, they gain knowledge, and because they have a fleet they were able to maintain them more effectively and run them more effectively. So that was the theory. And they did keep the reactor running for longer, but I question whether they ran it as safely. And what was your opinion? Did NIPA and Con Ed overall run it more safely than Entergy did? Yes, because the production pressure wasn't there, right? So they were content to uh, go offline. when They, they had a lower expectation. I think actually they had a higher expectation about safety. I mean, it's very interesting. You meet a lot of people in the nuclear industry come from the nuclear navy and they always say well you know like people wouldn't go on a submarine with a nuclear reactor if the nuclear reactors weren't safe the difference is in the navy they're very procedurally orientated and they don't have a pressure to produce all the time they can take the thing offline when you're in a commercial situation there's a lot of pressure to produce and that pressure to produce produces as we've seen with with indian point i mean a litany of maintenance problems you know, that O-ring problem I was talking about on the reactor lid, that recurred, I think, three times. So they never actually fixed it. What do you think was ultimately responsible for closing Indian Point? What finally made it happen? People power, votes. It's notable that in New York, the state subsidizes some upstate nuclear plants while at the same time closing down Indian Point. Where are the other plants in New York? The ones in Oswego, that's Jinaing. And then there's Fitzpatrick, I think, which is up on um, Lake Ontario. Ontario. Nine mile point. Yeah, nine mile. So combine that with with pressure from us, Ruakeeper, on the cooling water permit. Describe the specifics of that for people who don't understand the, the massive amounts of water that are necessary. These things are always built on a river, correct? Correct. And they deliberately decided to install an outdated system of cooling even when they built the plant which is called once through cooling. So the, the, the water just comes in, cools the hot water from the reactor, and then goes out again. There's no recycling of the cooling water. That, that takes in billions of gallons a day, puts out hot water at billions of gallons a day, kills billions of organisms a year. It has a huge impact on the ecosystem. And there is a lot of clean water rate that requires the best technology available to be fitted. And so we were pushing very hard on that side of things and the state was coming along with us. So that was essentially one of the things that helped close it was that you insisted and the government eventually fell in line to have them adjust this cooling operation, correct? That's right, because you see that the state can't just close a nuclear plant out of safety concerns. Only the NRC can regulate safety. <laughs> Only the organization in the pocket of the industry has the right to close down the plant. Well, so that's where the cooling water comes in because right. the state has a right to impose protection of their environmental resources. Right, exactly. Is there a place in the United States or anywhere around the world where they're doing the cooling more effectively? Where are they getting the cooling right? 
I don't know if they've built <laughs> Joe, any. Joe's yeah, yeah. wrinkling up his nose here. No one's getting it right, Joe? No. <laughs> the bottom line is the state had to insist on high standards for cooling, and that's indeed the route that the Corsan administration went down for Oyster Creek. And basically, the Cuomo administration went down the same route in New York. And in the light of the threat of the strict standard, Entergy agreed to take a, a deal where they had four more years and then they could close. So, the, so that's interesting. They'd rather, I mean, who knows whether the extension of the lease would have gone the 20 years at Indian Point that they wanted, but they were willing to close the plant rather than adjust the cooling operation. Yeah. They were willing to close the plant rather than stop destroying the aquatic life. Now, when you're on the Hudson, you're dealing with freshwater, presumably, and that's Harrison, where Indian Point is. Where did the water come from for Oyster Creek? Well, actually, on the Hudson, you're dealing with, with brackish. It, it, the tide comes up and down. Right. It's still brackish at that point. Uh, right. Oyster Creek, it came basically out of the bay there, out of Barnegat Bay. So they can't use ocean water. They can't use salt water. They, or can, well, they can use salt. Oh, they yeah, can. They can, they can use, use ocean water. water. Yeah, so San Onofre and places like that, they use ocean water. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I was, wasn't sure about the corrosion factor. Okay. Uh, a question I should have asked you back in 1996, actually, so that got by <laughs> me. But anyway, so Joe Mangano from RPHP, you tell me, why, what do you think contributed to closing Indian Point? Two reasons. The first one was public concern about safety and health, which is something that we helped to build by our studies and our work. The second one is, is economics. Why are nuclear plants costly? It's because they are dangerous. To operate, it takes many trained people, uh, to, and it takes complex safety systems, and it requires lots of security, and it, it involves lots of money that goes to waste storage you know, that you don't see from others. So for both reasons, it goes back to safety and health. Joe Mangano from the Radiation and Public Health Project and Richard Webster from Riverkeeper. Follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a review. When we come back, Paul Gallet, president of Hudson Riverkeeper, talks about Indian Point's risk to New York waterways. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Water plays a key role in nuclear power plants. Heated by fission, water becomes steam that spins the turbines that generate energy. Water also cools the reactors and spent fuel rods. Indian Point was built on the Hudson River, and for more than five decades, Riverkeeper has fought to keep the Hudson clean. Paul Gallet is its president. I've been with Riverkeeper for 11 years, and Indian Point's just been a huge focus. We also helped stop fracking in New York, got New York to reinvest in water infrastructure so that uh, water quality could come back. And one of the most interesting things that we've been involved in, thanks to support from the state, is removing all the old unneeded dams that are blocking the fish from getting to their areas where they spawn and where they used to feed so that we can reconnect our rivers and tributaries and restore our biodiversity in the Hudson watershed. Was this related to the reservoir system in New York at all or no? No, the reservoir system's uh, still up and probably going to stay up, but these are old dams that used to be used for factories that haven't existed for 60 years, but they never took the dams down and they've been blocking the river. So we took the first three down and our partners in government are taking others down. So we're going to bring the fish back. Where, where were you uh, working? What kind of work were you doing before you came to Riverkeeper? So I worked for the state of New York at the Department of Environmental Conservation. You know, when I was at the DEC, Basil Sagos was at Riverkeeper. And then I came to Riverkeeper. And now Basil Sagos is running DEC. There's the little funny story for you. <laughs> Musical chairs over there. I also worked in land conservation for 10 years. And, uh, you know, I'm 35 years in uh, on environmental protection. And I'm pretty excited about the work that we're doing. I remember in uh, the 80s, we went up to go visit Mario Cuomo, and they were going to have, in the wake of the certification or the passing of the Big Green Initiative in California, they wanted a similar referendum here in New York, and they put up the Environmental Bond Act. They wanted $1.1 billion, and of course, the friction between the Democratic and Republican uh, leadership in both the, uh, the House and the Senate in Albany was that the Republicans wanted $800 million for construction projects that they could hand out to their supporters and $300 million for land acquisition and for passive measures. And the Democrats wanted the opposite. They wanted $800 million in land acquisition and passive measures. And, and as many people know, there, there was a very somewhat sinister move afoot to force the treatment of New York City water. They wanted to switch from New York City's water remains uh, filtered but not treated, correct? Yeah, the uh, city has avoided filtration for its larger system. The smaller system has the filtration, and it's because they protect the lands around the reservoirs 
And that's the big watershed agreement that Riverkeepers struck with the city of New York and the state and the upshed, upstate towns way back in about 1990, 1992. Yeah. So some people accuse certain administrations in Albany, the governor, and uh, I don't think I need to name who this is, a very long-term serving governor who wanted to denigrate, he wanted to impact the quality of the water to force treatments. They wanted to force treatment because it was going to be a multi-billion dollar project in terms of construction. For many people who don't live in the area, the water supply for the city of New York comes from reservoirs in the mountains above, in the hills above. And historically, they flooded private land. They displaced hundreds, if not thousands of people years ago, and they flooded it with these reservoirs, which became the drinking water supply for the city of New York, which remains relatively well protected. There is some runoff from roads and so forth and some still, some untreated treated sewage that seeps into that water in developments and so forth. But there were Republican governors and uh, uh, representatives in Albany who wanted to see that system go down enough where they wanted to relax those protections, which would necessitate the building of treatment plants for the water, which would have been multi-billion dollar projects to treat that water the way other cities' water was treated. I think they came around because ultimately Mario Cuomo had the idea to do this agreement to avoid the filtration and George Pataki, his successor, ended up sealing the deal. And I worked for both of them actually at the DEC and uh, Pataki ultimately ended up being pretty proud of his partnership with Riverkeeper. Fantastic. I'm glad you mentioned that because Pataki was exactly who I was talking about as the person who I was under the impression was trying to force uh, treatment of the water. Pataki's an environmental hero. I didn't know that. So... Riverkeeper's role in helping to close Indian Point, what kind of work have you guys been doing in terms of Indian Point? Well, Riverkeeper got involved on Indian Point back in uh, the 1970s when the plant was first doing so much damage to the river. It was incredible. And we made sure that we got the studies necessary to show the damage that the plant was doing to the river. And the state saw those studies and to their credit, They decided that the plant would need to build cooling towers to avoid damaging the river so much. So they didn't have cooling towers initially at all? No, they still, they never did. They never built them. Had they built them back in the day, that plant might still be operating. But they refused to comply with the Clean Water Act. They refused to protect the river from the damage that was being done. That plant used more water every day than the entire city of New York, almost double. And they destroyed a tremendous amount of river life. And they've done a real number on the biodiversity of the Hudson. But after 9-11, that's when we realized there was a bigger threat, a bigger threat to the river, a bigger threat to our communities. And that was the spent fuel that's sitting right now in relatively unprotected pools that could be damaged by attack or uh, greater leak. So the spent fuel is as vulnerable, if not more vulnerable, than the actual reactor inside the dome, correct? Much more vulnerable. There's no concrete around it. And there's five times as much radiation in those spent fuel pools as there is in the reactors. And that's why not only do we have an agreement that has allowed us to close Indian Point as of last Friday, but Richard has negotiated an agreement that requires all that spent fuel to be moved by 2024 into far safer dry cask storage. So the region's safer as of Friday and will be still safer when that spent fuel is moved. When you shut down a reactor like Indian Point, what is the impact on the uh, available power for the community at large? So the good news here is we've had so much energy efficiency added into the system and some renewables as well. We're actually burning less natural gas now 
than we were the day we signed that closure agreement. Because like I said, we've been busy for a decade now. The state began preparing for Indian Point's closure in 2012. 2016, they came up with a 50% renewable energy program called Clean Energy Standard. 2018, they required a tripling of energy efficiency programs by utilities. In 2019, they passed the Best Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act to cut carbon in the nation, which is going to require 70% of our power to come from carbon-free sources by 2030. I could go on and on, but because of the work that's been done, we're on track to replace Indian Point's power output roughly three times over by 2025, (laughs) and offshore wind will do it a fourth time over by 2028. And we're ahead of schedule for meeting that 70% reduction by 2030 goal. Has the industry thrown in the towel in terms of development of these technologies and using them for utility reactors? Or are they still going to keep coming with modern developments? And what do you think the odds are that they're going to succeed? I'm going to go around the horn here. Joe, you go first. They're going to keep trying to push these new types of reactors, but they're really not going to get beyond the talking stage. In fact, there have been several bright ideas in the past that have have bombed terribly. The sodium-cooled reactors, where there was a meltdown near Los Angeles at Santa Susana. There was a near meltdown near Detroit. That went out. The breeder reactor concept, that went out. They'll keep trying, but in the past more than half century, it's, it's never gone beyond just the talking stage. What about you, Paul? What do you think? Well, even if they were to succeed, and there's no evidence that they will, they're not going to have any scale on this for decades. And there's one nuclear plant being built in the U.S. right now in Georgia. They're billions over budget. They just announced yet another delay. But long story short, while we're waiting for these so-called fourth generation nukes to show up, we've got all the technology we need to solve our energy challenges in hand wind and solar and battery storage keeps getting cheaper beyond hopes and expectations. The build-out keeps getting bigger. And so we got the tools in hand. Let's focus on what we have in hand because we don't have 20 years to start building stuff. We got to build stuff now. And Paul, what's the status of the fracking thing in New York now? Stop. Hard stop. The governor banned it in 2014, and then the legislature banned it uh, legally. Uh, And the governor signed that law about a year ago. Great. Richard Webster, what do you think is the future for nukes? Well, you know, my niece actually works in fusion research. And she says that the joke there is that fusion's always 20 years away, but it's been 20 years away for 50 years, right? (laughs) So so that's kind of the summary of, of affordable nukes, I think. Let me just say this. I've never been more gratified working in public policy, things I've worked on that are uh, campaign finance reform, reproductive rights, a women's right to choose, gun control, whatever issues I've been involved with. There was never been an issue I've been involved with, like shutting down utility reactors, where I encountered a group of men and women, because uh, Jeanette Sherman passed away, who we worked with, and I want to have a tip of the hat to her and all of our colleagues that we worked with over the years. Uh, I've never been more gratified working with a group of people than I had them with you guys. And I want to say that that Indian Point is closed. Indian Point's not going to close. We're not trying to pressure them to close it. Indian Point is closed. It was an epic battle. But Indian Point is closed because of the work of each of you on this podcast with me. 
you worked with many other groups. We know that. We always acknowledge our colleagues who were out there and worked with us, and we're very grateful to them. But name one that you helped really worth the Indian point. What's a local group that was really ferocious on that? Oh, well, I've got a name, Clearwater. I actually represented Clearwater at, at the relicensing hearing on an environmental justice contention. And we actually won at the Atomic Safety and Licensing Board, which is uh, quite rare. Uh, of course, we lost on appeal. But, you know, I always say with the NRC, the question is not whether you win. It's how long do you not lose for? Well, my phrase with the NRC is we're always going to win 20 years from now. <laughs> and we've been saying that for 50 years. One last comment from each of you, Richard. How do you feel about it? I feel great about it. I think we worked hard. We marshaled the facts, the people were persuaded, and the politicians listened. So that's probably a rare thing, but it, it's nice when it happens. Paul Gallet. Grateful, and I've got to give my tip of a hat to a man who has not been mentioned, but for 15 years or so, Andrew Cuomo stayed true to this cause, and he was on that agreement, and the agreement also wouldn't have happened if not for the commitment of New York State in this administration. Got it. Got it. Well done. Joseph Mangano. I feel mixed. On the one hand, we know from our studies that we've done that local rates of child cancer and in, in infant deaths are going to plunge immediately and cancer in all ages eventually will go down. On the other hand, it's unfortunate that we had to go through this period where people had to suffer to, to get to this point. Now that right there, that's the Joe Mangano I grew to love. <laughs> The guy was never satisfied. We had to have one more lunch. We needed to raise more money and give him hell. That's the Joe I love. He's never satisfied. We're going to be a million years old trying to raise money for anti-nuclear utilities. Gentlemen, I want to thank you very much. Indian Point is closed, and that is due in large part to the work that each of you have done. My thanks to all three of you for doing this show. I'm very grateful. Thanks a lot, Alec. Wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, Alec. Thank you for the work you did, too. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Paul Gallet is the president of Hudson Riverkeeper. My thanks to him, Richard Webster, and Joe Mangano for their time and their dedication to this long fight. Indian Point has closed, but there are still 93 other nuclear reactors still operating in the United States and more than 400 others around the world. We're produced by Kathleen Russo, Kerry Donahue, and Zach McNeese. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's the thing is brought to you by iHeartRadio. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.